Hello, and welcome to the Queen's Observatory Fast Radio Bursts. I am Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikhil Aurora. It is our mission to bring exciting space news hot off the telescope and into your ears. One way or another, the Queen's Observatory has continued its practice of sharing the wonders of the universe since 1857. Thank you for joining us in this long-running tradition. Here at Fast Radio Bursts, we will answer your questions, interview astronomers, and dive deep into breaking research. From low Earth orbit to the clouds of Venus, from Betelgeuse to colliding black holes, it's a big universe to talk about, so let's get started. All right, and welcome back. I'm Connor Stone, here with my co-host, Nikhil Aurora. Hi, Nick. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to talk about the dragonfly. Yeah, me too. So before we get into Dragonfly, though, I feel like we should do a bit of space news. There's some cool stuff coming up. If you're listening to this episode just as it's coming out, you should be able to catch the Perseid meteor shower. It will be peaking around the 10th, 11th of August. So uh, definitely uh, find a way to check that meteor shower out. If you... Uh, live in the city, I generally tell people the best piece of space equipment you can get is a car. If you can get out of the city, then uh, you don't need to go too far, and you'll be able to find a dark patch of sky where you can watch the Perseid meteor shower. Should be pretty great. Uh, In other space news, Amazon has uh, made a special delivery recently. (laughs) They uh, launched Jeff Bezos and a few other passengers up into space, and um, it's it's a pretty straightforward launch. They go straight up, and then come straight down, and use some parachutes. But it's it sounds like it would be a pretty spectacular ride. They've got big big windows, so you can get a good view of space. Um, yeah. Certainly would be fun. Certainly would cost a lot of money to go. <laughs> so now that's two humans in space. I yeah, two two commercially, I guess. Two, two billionaires have made their way into yeah. space and um, are, are going to make it more accessible for more people. Still yeah. still pretty expensive, but the progress in space marches on, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. Um, now let's just recap for a second. With uh, the Fast Radio Burst podcast, we uh, recently did a pair of episodes about the JWST. Very exciting future mission that will hopefully change our understanding of the universe. Yeah, and a near future mission, because it's going to be launched in November. Yeah, near, near future, for sure. Um, yeah. And we also talked about Ingenuity, when it was a future mission, but now it's a past mission. So uh, Ingenuity is really exciting. Of course, uh, at this point, most people will have heard it's made successful flights. It's uh, done a great job, which is yeah. which is uh, really helpful for our next mission, which is not so near future, uh, but will certainly be uh, standing on the shoulders of ingenuity for its sure. progress. Yeah. Um, so, so our our episode today is about the Dragonfly mission, and that will end off our future missions series because that's about as far future as we want to go before every everything just becomes speculation yes <laughs> which which is fun but uh hard to do an episode about yes so <laughs> um so we'll be moving on to a new series 
dangerous things about the universe, you're going to learn all the all the incredibly powerful events that happen in the universe that can blow up uh, the Earth or a star or something fun like that. Um, so look forward to that series. That'll be coming out next. In the meantime, we have Dragonfly. And Nick, I think uh, we, we've talked it up a lot. How about you give people an introduction to what Dragonfly is? For sure. Um, okay, so we did an episode on Ingenuity, which was a drone, um, which was a drone attached to a rover Perseverance, and it's just now on Mars, flying on Mars, in fact. And so Dragonfly is going to be the same is going to be along the same lines. Um, it's going to be a mission by NASA, and it's going to be essentially a helicopter. It's not going to be accompanied by a rover, as far as we know right now. Um, it's going to be a helicopter that's going to land on Saturn's largest moon, Titan. Um, there's a lot of interesting things that Titan sort of possesses that we will allow us to learn a lot more about our own planet. Um, and we're going to talk about them later in 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 this episode. Um, but that's the basic idea. Currently, it's penciled to be launched in 2027. It's about six years from now. But pencil is very easily erased and changed, isn't yes, it? Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's why I said penciled and not scheduled. Um, <laughs> and if it gets a launch in 2027, it'll arrive to Saturn by 2035. So we're looking at a good 14 years before this actually can start working. Right now. now, sometimes with these deeper launches, um, you have very tight time windows. So yes. is 2027 a hard limit and then they'll have to wait another 10 years? Or Yes, uh, exactly. What Some, are they looking yeah, at? Yeah, so I don't, it is a very hard window. I don't know when the next one is going to happen. I think it's a pretty long time. It's about 12 years, if I'm not wrong, but don't quote me on that because I haven't done the math yet. Um, but it is 20, 2027. So if they want to get this um, mission up and running, they have to get it done in 2027. And then it's about a seven-year journey to Saturn. Seven-year um, journey. This is definitely yeah. a far future mission that we're <laughs> talking about today. Seven years. Your kid starts to go to, what, primary school by that time? After being born? Seven yeah. years? <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, it'll be so all grown up by the time it arrives. Yep. Um, yeah. So Dragonfly itself is going to be able to sort of do a lot of things on Titan, um, including sort of looking at the terrain, how the the land on Titan is distributed, study its properties, collect samples. Um, and the reason why we picked Titan is because for some reason we think, and I'm going to explain those some reasons later on in this episode. Um, it will, it will advance our research on the building blocks of life. So if we think, if we want to study how life started here on Earth, we think Saturn's moon, Titan, is going to be the next best candidate after Mars, of course. Because, but things are already going on on Mars. So Yeah, there's certainly plenty going on on Mars. Yes. Um, but yeah, t- Titan is a really special moon, and we will talk about that. But... Um, We've, we've talked a lot about nearby planets in our solar system, going to Mars. Uh, we've talked about Venus. And JWST, the other future mission, is looking at exoplanets way out there, right. at, um, way out there at other solar systems. But it's always planets. So 
why are we interested in a moon now? What yeah. what's special about this moon? Yeah, um, it's it's essentially sort of the previous studies of um, this moon Titan. Um, by the way, it's very hard to study Titan from Earth. Um, um, it turns out Titan also has an atmosphere, just like the Earth does. Um, and most of the Titan's atmosphere is made out of um, methane and nitrogen. And now you think about the Earth's atmosphere, it's also predominantly nitrogen as well. The Earth's atmosphere is about 70% nitrogen. Um, and so it turns out there's a lot of similarities between Titan and Earth um, in terms of its composition and how it looks. And we think that Titan is sort of a past version of what the Earth would have looked like right about the time when um, life would have started to begin on the planet. And so that's why we're interested in Titan. It's about half the size of Earth. So if you want to send things up there, um, moving on it would be slightly easier, especially considering the drone that we're about to send, a helicopter that we're about to send. Um, it has been shown to have liquid oceans, um, however, most, mostly of methane, so liquid methane. That's a carbon compound, not water, um, at least not on the surface. Um, and these oceans seem to have similar cycles like the rivers on Earth. And so there's a lot of similarities between Titan's um, oceans and Earth that sort of interest us. Um, Just barring the one large difference of the incredibly cold temperatures on Titan, right. exactly. which allows yeah. methane to be a liquid. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, apart from that, like you think about something like Venus, um, which also has dense CO2 clouds as well. So it has a very dense atmosphere, but because it's so close to the sun, it's super hot. But when you go all the way out to Saturn, the heat is no longer a problem. So now you have thick atmospheres which have similar contents to what they would have been um, back millions of years ago when life was essentially beginning on Earth. Um, and so that's why it's very interesting for us to go to Titan and actually study it. For sure. And the idea of oceans and rivers and like yeah. weather, just like we see on Earth, that's really rare to come by. There's, there's Earth oh, and there's Titan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, essentially, that's it. Um, and, and when I really say weather and sort of rivers of methane these rivers or seas of methane are re really coming from the clouds so clouds are raining down methane onto the land forming these big bodies of water and where else do we know things rain in liquid form really it's it's earth so it's a really close cousin to past earth and this is one of the best ways to really understand how life would have begun on earth itself short of having a time machine. Um, and I'm sure some physicists are really working on getting a time machine, but until they're successful, this is our best bet. We'll, we'll appreciate it if they succeed, but I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, Titan, Titan has a lot of similarities to Earth. It's an opportunity to study Earth um, as it was in the past. But as you said, it's, it's hard to observe because of these clouds, because it's similar to Earth, it's, yeah. it makes itself more challenging to, to investigate. So if it is hard to observe, how do you know all of this about it? How do you know about these lakes and oceans? Magic. And um, no, not magic. Um, turns out we've already been to Titan um, once before. Um, well, I so guess this that is not... confirms that it's an interesting thing if we've <laughs> already investigated it. 
Um, so it um so this will be more of a return trip rather than the first time trip. So in 1997, um, ESO, which is the European Space Agency, along with NASA and Italian Space Agency, um, launched a mission called Cassini, um, which was sort of designed to go and study Saturn and its moons. Um, now, Cassini was a spacecraft. It was a satellite, so it was not bound to land on anything. But it had a lot of powerful instruments, such as cameras and high-power cameras that could peer through um, Titan's dense clouds. Because one, it was very close compared to where we are right now on Earth. Um, yeah, a big telescope can't beat just being there. <laughs> your cell phone, your cell phone could get a better picture of some yeah. of the planets than Hubble could if you were just right next to it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So that's how Titan was essentially studied for the first time. But I said we've been there, and sort of hovering around the planet is sort of the first step. There was also a lander on uh, on Cassini called the Huygens lander. It was a Dutch lander, and I'm 100% sure I'm butchering the name, but sorry for our Dutch listeners out there. Uh, the Huygens I lander. I think I've heard it called Huygens, but yeah. Huygens, okay. Yeah, Huygens lander, which actually landed on Titan using a parachute. And while it was landing, so through its journey, and then on landing, it was able to take photos and take measurements of what the land is like, um, the how the impact was on landing. So study sort of quakes because of landing. Um, it was able. Yeah, to that's confirm. something they're always worried about. Landing is what kind of material they're going to end up on. Yeah. Because if yeah. you end up on loose soil, you might sink right in. If you end up on yeah. something hard, you might break all your instruments. So yeah. it's actually something that you don't think about right away until you actually start planning, wait, what if we actually do want to land here? Absolutely. <laughs> what are we going to be landing on? Yeah. So Huygens had a seismometer attached to it to study that. It was a lander and it was sort of designed to, oh, if the landing fails, that's okay because we already collected so much data while going through our landing sequence. So it was okay if it, things didn't go wrong, if things went wrong, because we actually did not know back then what we were supposed to expect. Titan was unexplored territory for us. But it landed, it took pictures, and it also sort of looked at samples of the atmosphere and confirmed that the atmosphere is mostly carbon and nitrogen, um, with nitrogen dominating. But the pictures were very, very interesting because they showed us sort of deserts. And now we're talking deserts like the Arabian deserts or the Sahara deserts with like beautiful sand dunes and um, that you would see on Earth. For sure. Because it has weather, it can actually create, recreate a lot of structures that we yeah. see on Earth. On a planet with little or no atmosphere, a lot of the features that we think of as common, straightforward on Earth can never occur. Like on the yeah. moon, all of the sand is actually more like little shards. shards. Yeah. Whereas the sand we're used to is rounded and kind of soft yeah. on your feet. Yeah. Um, but Titan, yeah. again, is more like Earth. So it's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah. So now, based on the images sent and sort of the analysis done by Huygens, uh, Huygens rather, um, scientists think that the sand is not really made out of silicates like it is on Earth, but it is made up of sort of very cold hydrocarbons. So once again, hydrocarbons, just think of methane again, carbon and hydrogen combining together in various different formats. And we scientists think that these are essentially water-coated hydrocarbons that become sand. 
And now there are two very interesting things. Carbon, which is sort of the life form, base of the life form, base for all life forms on Earth. Everything is essentially, if it's living, it's made out of carbon. Um, and two, these are water-coated, um, which is also interesting in the sense that could there be water on um, Titan? I mean, water and carbon, that's like, as far as we know, that's the recipe for life. I'm sure there's more <laughs> steps, but we're, we haven't figured it out yet. Yes, exactly. So now Huygens also had radars on it, um, which he w- it was able to sort of send down to down towards the land. And it found that about like 30, 35 miles deep, there were, which in actual units is about 80 kilometers, um, there are actual oceans. And these oceans could be of liquid water below the surface. And then also current of water um, means that this could be habitable environments um, for life to flourish. And it's totally possible that, and I am, this is a big speculation, that there might life be there. Um, we know of a lot of things in on Earth that can survive in very extreme environments, going from extreme hot to extreme cold. Um, that's not intelligent life, but it's life nonetheless. And just by a Huygen study, it seems very similar conditions on Titan. So it's totally possible that life might be on Titan. Once again, do not go out there and say, there's a PhD student in Queens that said life there, their aliens have been found. I'm saying it's a suspicion. All right. Well, I, I think that's a good place to break. Huygens has sort of established Titan as a pretty spectacular moon worthy of investigation. And the Dragonfly mission is sort of the answer to that call. So when we come come back from the break, we're going to actually talk a bit about the Dragonfly mission plan itself and the technology that will be involved. Um, Fair warning ahead of time, this is going to be a lot of speculation because this is a more far future mission. But it's, yeah. it's pretty neat technology. So yeah, when we come back from the break, we'll talk about that. Hello there. I'm just stopping by to quickly let you know that the Queen's Observatory is always here to answer your space questions. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and our website. Links to all of these are in the podcast description. We're always happy to talk about the universe, And if you ask a really big question, we just might have to do a podcast about it. I would also like to mention some of the other great resources out there. In the podcast description, you will find links to the McDonald Institute, the Royal Astronomical Society, and the Astronomy on Tap program. They are all excellent programs to bring the universe down to Earth. And with that, let's get back to it. And welcome back. So... We've established Titan as an interesting moon in our solar system, pretty unique and uh, perhaps able to tell us a bit about Earth, which all makes it very exciting. And as I said before, the answer to that call is the Dragonfly mission. So Nick, could you explain to us the, the sort of overview of the Dragonfly mission so we have an idea of what it's going to be doing? Sure. Um, as I pointed out, it's supposed to la- launch in 2027-ish, takes seven years to get there, so that's going to be quite a long wait. But once it's there, it's currently planned to be there for about 32 months, so a little over, uh, close to three years. 
And while it's there, it's supposed to just fly around on the surface of Titan to explore its environment. Um, the, the cool thing is um, the atmosphere on Titan is about four times as dense as it is on Earth. So it should be easier. We're going to talk about this later. Um, sort of the pros and cons of a thicker atmosphere. It should be easier to fly drones on on Titan than it is on Earth, um, which means that you can really just land on one surface, collect some data, get up, move around, sort of fly up, move around, and then collect some more data. Um, and you're really just collecting data of what kind of diverse environments are there. So are there places which are super hot for some reason, let's say, like are found on, on Earth because of volcanic activity? Because we really also still don't completely understand the internal structure of Titan either. So are there places like that? Is there volcanic activity? What is the motion? What are the ocean? What do the ocean currents look like? Um, and sort of the cycles of the sand dunes um, that are present on Titan as well. All right. So it's going to take a while to get there, but it seems like a pretty long planned mission, almost three years. And uh, because of the unique environment of Titan, instead of a rover, which moves around slowly like we have on Mars, we get to fly around, see see a whole bunch of different area on on Titan. Now, I should point out, we just did very recently did an episode on Ingenuity. Maybe we should discuss why for a minute. Um, maybe we should discuss why for a minute Ingenuity has two rotors and we plan on sending Dragonfly to be eight. And the answer is really simple over here. Um, it's the density of the atmosphere. On Mars, you're looking at the density of the atmosphere being very, very low. So it's about 1% of what it is on Earth. Um, so over there, you don't really need more rotors. You really need the rotors to spin fast. Um, but on on Titan, because the atmosphere is so dense, um, along with the rotors, you actually need stability as well um, in the atmosphere. And the quadcopter organization of rotor actually allows for more stability and better maneuvers because you can actually vary the speeds of each quad, uh, each rotor and sort of move around much more easily there. All right. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that the mission is going to, of course, because it can fly, travel to lots of different areas in in Titan and yeah. try to make measurements of the land and the atmosphere and the environment, really. So we should probably list uh, some of the planned instruments that will hopefully be on the final mission. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first, one of the biggest instrument that you need, and we'll talk about this uh, in a minute, is something to power all the other instruments, really. Um, So there needs to be something along the lines of a power generator, a power source. Um, You need a communication uh, board on the uh, drone as well, because currently it is planned that its Dragonfly is going to be its own self-sufficient piece of instrument. That means that it should be able to communicate with Earth. Um, unlike Huygens, which we just talked about, which was able to relay things back to Cassini, and Cassini had a communication antenna that was relaying things onto Earth. Um, then when it comes to the science, um, there's definitely going to be something along the lines of a seismometer um, to really measure the properties of the sand dunes and the deserts. Um, 
there will be imagers, so cameras there, definitely. Um, and then there's going to be something along the lines of spectrometers, which are essentially cameras, but they take specific colored photos, really. Um, now, that's one of the cool things when you're looking at spectrometers. Um, for most, for, for some of the spectrometers, you have to keep things really cold. Um, and actively cooling them means passing things around, passing something like liquid helium or liquid nitrogen, which is very cold, around them to keep them cool so that they can operate properly. I think we talked about this in JWST as well. So there's an infrared sensor on JWST that needs to be kept very cold so that it can actually work, function properly. Now, this is where an advantage comes to being on Titan. Because we're so far away from the sun, it's already super cold on Titan. And then along with that, there's the added atmosphere, which is much more dense. So it's able to just keep protect itself from a lot of the heat. And therefore, you can really survive on sort of passive cooling um, rather than active cooling, which is which is an amazing thing, which is an added advantage. Um, so yeah, those are sort of the instruments we're looking on with respect to what's going to be on Titan. Yeah. All right. And, and you mentioned that... One of those instruments is the communication. So yeah. maybe we should talk a little more about that because it's a particular challenge in Titan so far away yeah. from Earth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so by the numbers, um, the distance to Titan is about 150 million kilometers. Actually, no, I'm a little bit over here. 1.2 million kilometers. Um, that's the distance to Titan. Um, and that's a long ways away. So think about ingenuity or perseverance. That takes about 20 minutes uh, to communicate with anything on Earth. Um, when you're up on Saturn or up on Titan, that time increases by a few factors. So now we're looking at two and a half hours uh, of lag in communications. So there's going to be two things. One, there's going to be a very, very big radio antenna. Um, that is able to send strong enough signals that are able to make it to Titan. Because one thing we have to remember is something called the inverse square law, which sort of decreases the intensity of the signal that you receive based on the distance. So if you were to go twice as far, the signal that you receive is going to be four times as less or four times as weak. And so you need something big on Dragonfly um, that is able to send strong, send strong enough signals that can be received on Earth. Um, so that's mainly the big problem. So these are the two big things when it comes to communication. One, it is so far away that we have a two and a half hour delay. So when it comes to actually flying this drone, we're gonna talk about this in a minute, all of the commands will need to be automated. So the drone itself will have to make decisions on where to go and how to do things. All we can tell them, all we can tell the drone really is collect this sample for us and then let the drone really decide. So there's going to be a lot of artificial intelligence slash machine learning involved. Um, and that's certainly where uh, ingenuity is a precursor yeah. to Dragonfly. Now, you mentioned um, for the communication, we need this really big dish that's got to send a powerful signal because it's got to overcome that inverse square law, which makes it, yeah. it, makes it incredibly weak, the signal. Yeah. So how, how do you power something like that? Because again, you are yeah. far away from the sun, so you yeah. solar panels aren't really nearly as effective. No. Yeah, so solar panels are essentially out of the question here because you're so, one, you're so far away from the sun, and two, 
the atmosphere is so thick, you're not going to get a lot of um, heat coming or a lot of light coming. Um, so the powering of the drone is also sort of being, is going to be copied or taken from Perseverance and Curiosity rovers. Um, so both Perseverance and Curiosity rovers, which are now on Mars working through, have nuclear power sources. Um, and these nuclear power sources generate heat, which in turn is converted into electricity. And that is going to be um, sort of the model that is going to be followed on Titan. There are a few interesting things. There's a few cons of using this. One of them is you have to find something radioactive, but you have to find a lot of it. But at the same time, you have to keep things light because sending things up in space is very expensive. Um, so you need something super efficient in creating heat, but at the same time, um, it's also able to sort of be light so that you don't pile on the weight. Um, and the second issue is there's no on and off switch on nuclear power. Once you put the source in, it's gone. It's going. So even while the travel is happening, um, there's going to be heat being generated from this power source. It's um, almost like a battery and, that's always discharging. So yeah, exactly. uh, right when you make the battery, it's at full power. And yeah. from then on, it's just getting weaker and weaker and weaker with time. Yeah. yeah. Um, that That is probably one of the elements that limits the length of the mission to just yes. about three years or just under yeah. three years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, these are going to be the two things. So while it's actually traveling, it's going to have to have the what do you call it, the capsule in which um, Dragonfly is going to be stored will have to have radiators or some way to cool themselves because the power source is going to continue to generate heat. Um, so yeah, then there's going to be, of course, batteries that are going to sort of store the heat, uh, the electricity generated from um, these, these nuclear sources so that it can sort of work whenever it wants to rather than waiting for heat to arrive. So yeah, that's going to be how the powering is going to happen. All right, so... It's it's pretty bizarre to think about a nuclear power source, which is big and heavy, and this big communication dish on a flying drone. So the, the flight for Dragonfly is really special, and I think that's a good place for us to end on. So why don't you tell us about how Dragonfly flies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I pointed out, Dragonfly is currently... Um, plan to have eight rotors um, and those eight rotors are mainly to sort of be able to maneuver and perform sort of directional changes and do complicated flight paths. Um, the more rotors you have, the more you can change individual speeds of the rotor and sort of change your direction or pitch um, or turn around in the sky. Also, you have redundancy yeah. in case one fails, which exactly. is always yeah. important. Yeah. So that's why they're eight and not four. Um, now, the, added, the advantage of being on Titan, as I have sort of impressed upon many times, is the dense atmosphere. So you don't need to spin the rotors fast, uh, super fast, and you're already getting thrust. Um, so there's a little bit of a leeway there in how heavy you can make uh, Dragonfly to be. At this point, we think Dragonfly is going to be about 500 kilo kilograms. Um, and, but because of the thick, thick atmospheres, you spin the rotors... Um, fast enough, you are going to get a lift. You are going to get the thrust. However, there are other complications of spinning the rotors fast. And one of the biggest complications is the speed of sound. Because um, if you pass the speed of sound, wonky things tend to happen. 
that's the best way to put it. Sonic booms, change in pressure. Um, Basically, yeah. you lose the point of the rotors. They don't produce lift anymore. Yes. Um, and the issue is that the speed of sound is about half that is on Earth. And that's because of the density of the, um, the atmosphere. And so these rotors currently, which are, which are claimed to be about a meter long, will have to be careful of not spinning too fast such that the end of the rotor breaks the speed of sound. Because if that happens, as I said, things go wonky. So I think the scientists that are involved in designing the rotors will have to come between, come up with sort of a balance between how fast you can really spin the rotors without breaking um, the speed of sound on the ends of the rotors. And I think this, once again, can easily be tested on Earth. And that's because, um, and we hinted to that, not hinted, we actually discussed this in depth uh, in the Ingenuity episode. NASA has the flight simulation chambers, which are really super tall, and they can essentially mimic any atmosphere, any conditions you want to. That's how Ingenuity was tested. They just essentially mimic the sort of density of air in on Mars. And so I think that's where these testings are going to happen, where I think they're going to find a balance between not going fast but not super fast enough in an atmosphere that's about four times the yeah and in to, to test ingenuity they had to pump out a lot of air yeah. to test uh dragonfly they're gonna have to pressurize okay. and add yeah. add more atmosphere and make it thicker yeah, yeah absolutely so that but also it, means you can push to see it for sure yeah yeah so that's sort of the plan of dragonfly i think it's a very exciting mission especially sort of looking on some of the initial data that we already have from Titan. Um, and definitely some of the exciting things are going to come from Dragonfly's mission there as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good point to end off. We've talked about why Titan is so interesting. We've talked about uh, how great it is that Dragonfly will be able to use its thick atmosphere to travel around to all sorts of different places on Titan the incredible instruments it will have in order to take images and samples and spectra of, of the surface and uh, the, the technologies that sort of make it work that some of them don't quite exist yet and we're going to have to test them in large chambers that change the thickness of the atmosphere. And, yeah. um, so Dragonfly is a uh, near future, not near future mission, that uh, is a future mission. That's a solid future, solid future mission. And uh, it should be very exciting if, if we get it to work. Yes, definitely. All right. And uh, that's going to be it for today. We'll see you at the next episode when we talk about dangerous things in the universe. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Queen's Observatory's Fast Radio Burst. We hope you enjoyed this walk through the universe. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact us via email at queensuobservatory at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter as the Queen's University Observatory to stay up to date. If you like this podcast, you can help us by leaving a review and sharing it with your friends. This will help us become more visible and spread the wonders of the universe to more people. That is all from us. We'll be back again with another exciting topic in astronomy.